You're listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church. All right. Uh, well, good morning. I'm introducing myself today because um, Robin used all of his jokes. And so he just had me a microphone. Um, I do want to just reinforce what Robin's saying. I really am so excited about the season the church is in. Uh, I think it's a beautiful and profound and really um, just awesome moment that we're in as a church. Um, but I also just really felt that word, and, and I haven't been here but for a year, so I don't have full context, but I really felt something on that word for just wanderers kind of returning home. Um, which I think is beautiful. So thank you for praying into that. But um, I also want to challenge you, if you know some of those wanderers, drag them home. Like physically drag them home. You know, like that uh, force works sometimes. Uh, just do it in Jesus' name and it's covered under the blood. So uh, I want to pray for us and we'll dive in. Father, thank you for your word and your heart. And um, God, thank you that we ultimately do have a home and who you are, your presence is with us and around us. And God, we're just so excited about the season uh, that we're in as a church because we know that uh, you're cultivating things, you're stirring things, God, and you're birthing things all in the same moment. Um, and God, even in a season of, of Advent and thinking about this concept of you coming, uh, God, I'm just excited that you're still coming right now and you're coming tomorrow and you're coming the next day, that you never stop coming uh, into our space, Father. So let us be aware, let us not miss it. And God, more than anything, let us be a church in this season who has latched onto what you're doing. Um, so that we can fulfill everything that you have in your heart for us. In Jesus' name. Everybody say, Amen. Amen. Awesome. If you weren't here last week, I encourage you to go back and uh, listen, because uh, I am going to be a little repetitive uh, and share some thoughts from last week, but I want to hopefully just unpack a little bit further uh, around the concept of building bridges and not barriers. Okay, Everybody say bridges. 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 Um, we talked some last week about um, Acts 2 and how the Holy Spirit came and it empowered uh, this group of early church people who were gathered uh, for Jesus, but it empowered them not just to stay in an upper room, but to actually go somewhere, to take the thing that they experienced with them. And we also mentioned that in that uh, story, uh, they didn't just have good church, but the city, uh, via multiple streams, started to merge to know the Father. The kingdom started to flourish in the world. Churches began to be planted. And we sit here today because... Because a group of people filled with the Holy Spirit didn't just stay in an upper room, but they opened a door, began to preach the gospel, and model what the kingdom was on earth as it is in heaven. So if you're thankful for that, say amen. Um, I want to uh, read really quick this passage that you all know, but it's Jesus' model prayer out of Matthew 6, verse 9 to 10. Just to draw a principle, um, and then we'll unpack this. It says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth for fun. Everyone say, on earth. As, say that one, it is in heaven. Okay, so here's the thing. There's, there's two things. There's earth and there's heaven. Okay? There's side A, side B. There's currently a culture on earth. And then there's obviously a culture in heaven. Now, uh, context for the day, they would have been familiar with the culture of earth, but they were not familiar with the culture of heaven, right? Which is why the Messiah came, why Jesus came. And I love that we're in this Advent season talking about this concept because there's no greater bridge that's ever been built than God himself bridging his own life into humanity and coming to our side, okay? 
And when God comes to our side, it doesn't just mean that he came to visit. He gives us access now to his side, right? He comes to us through the incarnation, but through the cross, he gives us access back to the Father so that everything that's available in heaven is now available via bridge to the earth. Amen. This is a bridge that was built, and this is what God does. Everything he does um, is building bridges, right? He comes into humanity. The Bible says the word became flesh and he dwelt among us. That's a bridge. Jesus had conversations that were bridges. Jesus engaged people that built bridges. He didn't just do it uh, for people, but he did do it in front of people. And doing it in front of people shocked the very culture of this world. But we know by this text that he was bringing the culture of heaven. So let me say it like this. Jesus was on earth, but he was as heaven. Okay? He was in this culture, but he wasn't of this culture. He was in this world, but he wasn't of this world. He came to his own. He walked with his own. He dwelt among us. He kind of stepped into our little arena of values and systems and how we do life and perceptions and perspectives. But he brought something that was not the same as the something that we knew. He brought kingdom culture to our culture. Guys, there is a point to building bridges. And it's so that kingdom culture can show up in this culture. So that what's on earth can experience what it's like in heaven amen if you agree with that you can't disagree because the bible says it so but that's what bridges do they take us from one place to another here's what barriers do they separate us from something i'll tell you a quick story um then i want to talk about different kinds of churches um but i'll tell you the story of a troubled fifth grader if you're a parent this morning with a fifth grader maybe this relates um but once upon a time This is a true story, by the way. Once upon a time, there was a fifth grader. And this fifth grader was uh, kind of a problem child, okay? In the sense that he just didn't act like the other fifth graders, okay? Um, Kind of creative, easily bored, very fidgety. Um, Not the problem child that would just like run up and punch someone, but the problem child that would instigate this elaborate plan and see it play out, like would just conjure things up and, you know, just just to amuse himself. And the challenge was this fifth grader was disrupting the fifth grade classroom, okay? And the teacher who's doing her best trying to establish a culture in her classroom couldn't establish said culture because this fifth grader's culture kept bringing it on classroom as it was in his heaven. He's showing up with this whole thing called himself and himself is a lot for this room. Okay, And the teacher did not know how to navigate the student. She didn't know how to teach him, how to lead him. She didn't know how to build a bridge for him to get to point A to point B and act like the rest of the class. So here's what she did. And this was the last resort. She, um, give you a visual, her classroom was set up where all the chairs are kind of here. The board is here. The teacher's desk is over here. And in between the classroom and the teacher's desk is a giant bookshelf. And so her solution was, I can't fix this kid. I can't get him to act right. So I'm going to have to separate this kid from everyone else. And so she moves this kid's desk. He comes in one, one morning to class. And his new desk and location is on the other side of the bookshelf where he can only see the teacher and the board but no longer can engage the rest of the students. Everybody say, aww. 
kind of sad, but it's kind of on him too, you know, a little bit. Now, because she didn't know what to do, she created a barrier. She didn't know how to build a bridge, so she just created a divide. Here's the interesting thing, though. It didn't actually work. It created some space and silence for a little bit, but he got more creative. It actually increased his gifts. He got smarter. He got more crafty. Uh, he learned how to still communicate with the rest, rest of the class in different ways, because uh, that's what great leaders do. And he was still able, even though there's a barrier and a separation, he was still able to effectively lead his class in chaos. Um, and then sixth grade happens. And this kid walks into a sixth grade classroom, and guess what? He walks in, and the sixth grade classroom looks very similar to the fifth grade classroom. Except it's flipped. The desks are here. The teacher's board is there. The teacher's desk is over here. And in between the two is this giant bookshelf. And he walks in the first day of sixth grade. And guess where his desk is located? Right behind the bookshelf. Ah. Now it is kind of on the school, though. You know, like he's kind of brought it on himself. But this is a little bit much, right? And he shows up, and this is kind of his new life. He's just doing school behind the bookshelf, doesn't fit in with the other kids, problem child. Didn't stop him, didn't fix the problem, it just tried to hide the problem, but the problem was still a problem, right? And this goes on for this kid through seventh grade and eighth grade until he goes to high school. Um, this is why we create barriers. We create barriers because we usually want to make a problem go away. Now, let me say this this morning. Some barriers are fine. Like a guardrail's good. Some boundaries are good. We do want to keep certain things out of our lives. So some barriers, not all barriers are bad things, but let's just talk about bad barriers. Oftentimes, we build, build barriers because we want a problem to go away, but barriers don't usually make a problem go away. They just move the problem to a different location. The problem's still a problem, right? Um... And sometimes we, we build barriers because we feel like we might get contaminated and we want to stay safe. Okay? But we build barriers for a lot of reasons. Sometimes we, we build barriers. Uh, this is tongue twisting me today. Say build barriers like five times fast and you'll see why. But sometimes we build barriers um, because we just don't know what to do. Like this teacher. She just did not know how to fix the kid. And that's often why we build barriers. But can I tell you that the church's role doesn't give us the luxury of building barriers to the problem. In fact, if the kingdom's going to come on earth as it is in heaven, it's important that we're on earth. But it's equally important that we are, important that we are as heaven. The goal was not to separate. I want to read this passage really quick out of John 17. This is Jesus praying really significant prayer and a very missional prayer for us to take ownership of. But he says this to the Father. He says, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world. In other words, don't put up a bookshelf and separate the problem. I don't pray that you take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They're not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world... I also have sent them into the world. 
Can I tell you that to be a missional church means that we have to own the mission and it does not afford us the luxury of separating the problem so that we can stay comfortable or safe. Here's, here's where we see this pattern. When we don't let the world in based on their performance, that's a barrier to keep us safe, but it doesn't actually fix any problems. And I'm convinced that sometimes it's actually not the world that's the greatest issue. Like I said last week, sometimes the biggest hindrance to what God's trying to do and how he wants to reculture and bring the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven, the biggest hindrance isn't the world's sin. Sometimes it's good church. It's a church that is so closed in in its four walls and so um, not necessarily secure enough to engage those who are not like them that we tend to build barriers, maybe out of good hearts because we just don't know what to do. But maybe it's just because we want the problem to go away. Jesus was a bridge builder. The very fact that he was with us was a bridge to the Father. The very fact that he would sit at a table and break bread with people not like him and people who were definitely behind the bookshelf of, of culture, the outcasts, the rejects, the unclean, the corrupt. The fact that Jesus would sit with them was a bridge. Because Jesus didn't come to hide the problem. Jesus came to offer a solution. Jesus came to bring to earth what it was like in heaven because he knew that what it was like in heaven could set free what it was like on the earth. He didn't come to build barriers. He came to build bridges. So when we talk about the commission of Jesus and being a missionally minded church, we have to think bridges and not barriers. We have to think about inclusion, not separation. Now, again, I know some of these are trigger words, and I'll try to clean them up. If you're triggered, there's a bookshelf over there. You can go sit behind it. Oh, I forgot to tell you this. The kid in the, that had to sit behind the bookshelf was me. Okay. That's how I know it's a true story. But look at me now, teachers. I got the microphone. You sit behind this. Anyway, I'm fine. I'm healed. I'm whole. One of the ways I think we get stuck, I want to talk about a couple thoughts really quick before we open up a way to build bridges. But I want to mention three types of church that we don't want to be. This is not to throw rocks or throw shade, but we definitely don't want to be these things. Number one is we don't want to be a protesting church. We don't want to specialize being a church that lives in constant reaction to the world, against the world. We spend all of our time condemning, throwing rocks at, and instead of being changed in the world, we're just obsessed with judging the world. Okay? One of the biggest barriers we can fall in the trap of is we see the condition of the world, but we have no ownership for it. And so we just hide behind the shelf, create a barrier, and try to stay safe and wait for Jesus to come. Right? We prophesy against it. We criticize it. Talk about how bad it is. And maybe, here's to be fair, maybe that's true sometimes. Maybe it is bad. But you can't fix the problem by talking about the problem. Right? Here's another church we don't want to be. We don't want to be the disengaged church who has zero conviction of being on mission and isolates itself from the world. Because that's a barrier too. I don't want to just stay safe until Jesus comes. I don't want to just not like not get the world on me and stay safe over here waiting for some day. 
And the other is this, I don't want to also be the uber-relevant church that's been so much around culture that we're no different than culture. We have nothing to bring. We're just on earth as it is on earth. Right? We're not called to be on earth as it is on earth. We're called to be on earth as it is in heaven. We're called to bridge and bring something different to the world around us. So that means you have to be engaged with the world around you, but not of the world around you. Like he said, don't take them out of the world. They're not of the world, just as I wasn't of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. In other words, inject them with something that protects them, but also offers solution to a world that is just screaming and groaning to know a father that they're not even sure exist but how can we be a solution to the problem if we build a barrier away from the problem if we can't have a conversation with the problem if we're afraid to get the problem on us or if we just think the problem is greater than the one that's in me sometimes our theology is so small that we can't interact with people who are so far on the other side of the fence because we're afraid of what sin being seen jesus wasn't afraid of being seen I shared this story last week, but he's sitting at a woman with a well, a Samaritan and a woman. He's breaking two cultural rules right there, just hitting the whole thing. The disciples are gone and they come back and they see him. They don't say anything, but I guarantee you they were like, hey, Jesus, can't, come on, can't be seen doing that. You got to abstain from the appearance of evil. Jesus was building bridges at the risk of everyone's comfort. But somehow had grace to still draw everyone. Even those who were against him were curious, trying to unpack. They were still drawn, even though they were pushing. Because Jesus could build a bridge. And Jesus was the son, a word that became flesh who was not afraid to get the world on him because he knew that what he carried was the solution the world needed. Um, and, and I know the, the counterbalance to these kind of concepts is like, we, and I just said it, we can't be so relevant that we just like become a sinner to reach the sinner. Can I, can I tell you why you don't have to do that? Because you don't have to do that. Jesus didn't do that, and he was the most effective who ever lived. Jesus could reach the tax collector. He didn't become a tax collector to do it. He could reach a prostitute. He didn't become that. Amen. Uh, Jesus didn't have to become the thing to reach the thing, but he didn't remove himself from the thing to stay safe either. He never built barriers. He built bridges. And the bridges were there to help people come to the Father. Now, here's what I want to say as a church, missionally minded. Our bridge is not to get people to come to our church brand so we can build our attendance and our numbers and look, you know, patty cake for Jesus about what we built. Our, our bridge is to bring people to the Father. To know the power of the cross, to know what Jesus did, to know who they are as sons and daughters so that they're so convinced that they become pillars of kingdom culture in their community. I want to see people so convinced of who they are as a son or a daughter and so secure that they can sit at any table and not be nervous, not be shaken, not be worried, right? It takes a very secure church to do that. And I believe we are that church, amen. I think we already possess these. I'm just reinforcing them. But we want to be an incarnational church, right? 
A church who owns the commission of Jesus. And our goal is not just to focus, let me say it like this, our goal is not just to focus on fixing the world. Our goal is actually to focus on becoming like Jesus in the world. Right? I think I said this a couple weeks ago, guys, but when a, when a tree bears fruit, it's not for the tree. Right? So as we bear the fruit of the likeness of Jesus, it's actually not so much for you as it is the world around you. Right? So it's important that we focus on fruit because that's actually what helps bridge culture. I wish my fifth grade teacher had gotten this stuff, by the way. <sighs> mm. All right, let's talk about bridges for a minute. Everybody said bridges? Okay, three thoughts I want to unpack, and then I'm just going to pray into these, and then next week we're going to do a little exercise to um, just just have a, a little bit of action on these. But the first one is this, and um, again, we'll probably unpack these over the next few Sundays a little bit more. But let me make this statement. We're going to struggle with compassion if we don't think it's okay to be human. One of the biggest bridges, and this is the only one I want us to take away today and think about, one of the biggest bridges we have uh, in the world that is effective is compassion. But we'll struggle with compassion if we don't think it's okay to be human. Okay, uh, First, Advent season, the most human, human affirming thing that's ever happened was the incarnation. God becoming human said, hey, it's okay to be human. Right? Isn't it interesting, though, that sometimes our theology uh, makes us want to escape humanity to go to something better? But he comes to say, hey, no, it's actually good. I'm going to dwell with you. I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to dine with you. I'm going to experience the same thing you experienced. Like, he did life as we did life. He made himself vulnerable to a mother. I mean, isn't that crazy that God, the God of the universe, would come and put his position in the position of needing a young girl to survive? Like, he knows what it's like to do human. But sometimes I think we trick ourselves into thinking, man, our humanity is kind of the problem. It makes makes me think, I didn't put these in here, but I'm going to pull them up and just read them really quick. I was thinking about this this morning. Um, I was supposed to be studying for this, but I was just reading random things. Uh, But it's Matthew 5, it's the Beatitudes. And Jesus says this, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are those who are meek, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, blessed uh, blessed are the merciful. You know what Jesus is describing? He's describing what it's like to be human. There's no trick, and these aren't just virtues. He's describing what it's like to be human, and he's saying it's a blessed thing to be human. And he's not giving you some vague word of faith promise that says you're not going to walk through seasons where you need to mourn. You're not going to walk through seasons uh, where you don't have uh, poverty. You're not going to walk through seasons where meekness isn't uh, one of the things we need to navigate. Like he's not saying you're going to avoid these things. He's saying, hey, it's actually a, a blessing to be human and that's okay. But can I tell you this? The issue is not humanity. The issue is the disconnect from which humanity was originally intended to be patterned after, which was his likeness. Because he goes on, he unpacks this whole sermon, beautiful things, and hey, this is kind of what it's like. And then he says this statement, verse 13, he goes right after that to the same crowd in that same context saying, you are the salt of the earth. Mission right here, right? 
you're the salt of the earth. But if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be? In other words, it's okay to be human, but humanity was intended to be fashioned after the likeness of Jesus. But if that humanity loses the likeness, then it's no longer good. It's just on earth as it is on earth. It's no longer on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus comes through the incarnation to bring back and reconnect what was lost in humanity that was intended to always have, which was the likeness of its father beating in a human heart. That's why Jesus could walk in a broken society, multiple streams, cultural divisions, more so than any American has ever experienced, by the way. Right? If you thought like the last political season and all this stuff was intense, come on, just rewind to Jesus' time. And here he is, merging streams, building bridges. And what's beautiful about the bridges that Jesus built is it wasn't just to him, it was to them and the Father. And he was also building bridges from man to man. He was building bridges from being lost to being found. He was building bridges from being broken to being whole. He was building bridges from being sick to being well. He never ignored side A. But he always built a bridge to side B. He came into the world, but he was not of the world. He was on earth, but he was as heaven. The church is called to be on earth because we have a mission. But our focus is not just to build our church brand. Our focus is to be as heaven. One of the biggest bridges is compassion. Here's a quick definition of compassion. I don't remember. This isn't the the Greek word compassion. This is just general, but it means to suffer together. Okay. I'm going to read this story, Matthew 20, 29 through 34. It says, as Jesus and his disciples were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him. Two blind men were sitting by the roadside, and they heard that Jesus was going by. They shouted, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. And here's the culture. Ready? Here's what it's like on earth. Verse 31. The crowd rebuked them and told them to be quiet. Ugh. That's the culture, right? That's what it was like on earth. Okay? Jesus, his ministry's got some reputation now. He's not trying to do it, but crowds are following. A couple of blind guys get word that he's passing through and they're screaming out because they got nothing else. They're desperate. I mean, talk about poor in spirit and the meek and all these things. Like, they're just there. But what was the cultural norm for the day? It was beggars and that kind of thing, which is probably why the crowd kind of leaned to a little bit of annoyance and said, hey, shh, shh Jesus is trying to preach. Would you shut up? Right? Because they're used to this. It's familiar. But here's what they're not used to. Here, here's what they're not used to. They said, they said to the crowd, uh, be quiet. But the guys shouted all the louder, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. Jesus stopped and called them. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. Lord, they answered, we want our sight. And here's verse 34, this is what I love. Here's the bridge. Jesus had compassion. In other words, Jesus shared uh, in the suffering. Jesus took ownership of their story and made it his own. He didn't just like observe it, he felt it. 
In fact, I think the Greek word actually implies it's this yearning in the bowels. There's, there's like a physical tone behind this original word. He felt something for their condition, for their situation. He didn't build up a barrier. But he had compassion. He touched their eyes. Immediately they received their sight and followed him. Now, was the bridge the miracle or was it the compassion? Because the miracles are great. Like the miracles are upper room moments where everyone's like, yeah, Jesus, walking on the water. You know, like we get excited and it sells stuff and we can bottle it up and like resell it. But compassion is not nearly as sexy. Compassion is different. It's internal. But it's actually the bridge for the miracle. It was actually the bridge for culture because here's what happened. A culture that said, hey guys, be quiet. The first time probably ever they saw someone who had a reputation, who was of worth, even though he made himself of none, they did that. Stopped, had compassion on those that society was kicking out and right in front of their face, extended value, opened their eyes. And I don't know what the greater miracle was. Was it the blind eye opening or was it the fact that culture just got shocked with the culture of heaven. Because he was on earth, but on earth was saying, hey, be quiet. But as heaven was saying, hey, what do you want? It wasn't just healing a blind eye. He was shaking culture. He was bridging culture. He was giving a window for the current culture of the day to see how heaven responds to those that everyone else pushes aside. It wasn't just about a miracle or a blind eye. Jesus was shaping culture. He was leaking heavenly culture into the world. Mm. See, he comes back to this thought. I'm going to talk about it again in just a second. But sometimes we build barriers because we just want the problem to be quiet and go away. And maybe it's because we just don't know what to do. But can I tell you this? Hiding it behind a shelf will not fix the problem. That problem will get really creative and figure out a way to still be a problem. And I just want to say it one more time to all the teachers who might be watching the stream day. It did not work. No amount of discipline could have fixed me. I had a destiny. No. <laughs> Matthew 14, we'll read one more story about compassion. This is Jesus again, whose ministry is flourishing, not by his own promotion. But he can't seem to get away because he's built bridges to the point people are finding relief and wholeness in his presence. But it says, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them. One more time for fun, everybody say compassion. He had compassion on them. He healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place. We're in the middle of nowhere. It's already late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy some food. Jesus replied, they don't need to go away. You give them something. Now, here's an interesting scenario. Ministry's happening. The disciples kind of have a, a, enough wisdom to see there's a, there's a problem on the rise. Okay? You've got a lot of people. A lot of families, hungry babies, um, hangry people. 
And the longer we stay here out in the middle, not even a dollar general out here, Jesus, we've got to go like start talking about this now. We need to get a plan and a strategy because at any minute it's going to turn Black Friday up in here and everybody's going to be fighting over the last taco or whatever, right? They're super concerned. And their response is the response of an on-earth response, which is, let's send the problem away. But Jesus, already having compassion for these people, he's already gripped by their story. He's already co-owning their narrative. He's already injected himself into the solution. Is not going to almost entertain any idea that sweeps the problem behind a bookshelf. He says, you give him something to eat. Right? Let's keep reading. It is a miracle story. Uh, Verse 17, we have here only five loaves and uh, five loaves of bread and two fish. They answer, bring them here to me. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves and two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks. He broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. They picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides women and children. So there's a lot of people to feed. And this is a crazy miracle that Jesus does. But the miracle wasn't the bridge. Compassion was. Compassion was the bridge that allowed heaven to operate in the earth. In fact, here's another great example. Bible verse, greatest hits, John 3.16. For God so what? Loved the world. Loved the problem. For God so loved the world that he gave. The reason that this incarnational bridge happened a couple thousand years ago that we celebrate in this season is because love preceded the miracle of the word becoming flesh. Love preceded the blind seeing, the deaf uh, hearing, and the lame walking. Love came before everything. Love was this bridge. And with it comes compassion that co-owns the suffering of a humanity that needed a light. Jesus was a bridge, right? But so often when there's challenge in our world, instead of building a bridge, we stay concerned and build a barrier. A friend of mine teaches on this a lot, and I love his language. And in case he's listening, I'll reference him, but I'm sure he stole it. But it's so important that we learn to go from concern to compassion. A concerned church offers no solution. It puts up a shelf, builds a barrier, might even have sympathy for the problem. But it just wants the problem to kind of go over here. And the reason maybe we do this sometimes too is we just don't know what to do or we feel powerless. Like the little bit I've got won't help, but that's not what Jesus said. That was their response is, Jesus, we don't have enough. We only have a little bit. We can't even make a significant impact in what's going on in our city, Jesus. Uh, So why don't we just kind of stay out of it, let somebody else get it, and we'll just pray about it. Send them home, like just pray for them as they go through the Wendy's drive through on the way home. Maybe, you know. But solutions are never about what's in your hand. It's never reduced to the quantity of what you possess. <laughs> you, you understand, he's in you. You're in the world. Okay? At no point is there lack when it comes to being the solution or, uh, or, or, or fulfilling the mission that he sent us to fulfill. 
right? There should never be a day where we look at a problem and disengage or build a barrier because we feel like we're not significant enough to even make a dent. It might be only a dent, but a dent in the basket of Jesus can multiply and impact thousands of people. There is an element where it's like it's practical faith in building bridges and engaging culture. But we must never lose the element that it's also a supernatural kingdom where some things just pop out of thin air. The blind see and the lame walk. That is still kingdom culture. Amen. There's always that when it comes to the church. Because the Holy Spirit empowered us to build bridges. To be part of the solution. He didn't hide us. But he comes so that that salt could be salty again, not just humanity, but humanity that looks and sounds and beats with the heart of a likeness that's after its creator. And that's what Jesus was. A human heart beating with the culture of heaven. And everywhere he went, bridges were being built. People were coming to the Father. Amen. But we can't be concerned about the problem because concern just builds a barrier, but compassion builds a bridge. Let me ask you this, and I don't want you to answer this, but I want us next week, I think we have a couple of the missions that we support are going to be here just sharing a few minutes, and then we're just going to do a little call to action on this concept as we think about missional engagement, but if you could really go home this week and pray into what's the area around you that instead of separating from and praying about, you could co-own, you could have compassion for. And I mean that no judgment. I, guys, we, we do this all day. It's just easy to sweep stuff away and think about it later. That's the world we live in. But I love that this passage says the two blind men were uh, crying out to Jesus. Culture was saying, hey, be quiet. And it says that Jesus stopped. What does it look like for us just to stop long enough to look around and say, hey, what's broken in my city that I could own? And here's what I want you to do. Don't think about, don't go straight to provision. Don't go straight to what's in your basket. Don't go think, hey, man, I'm just one person. I don't even know where to start. I just got a burden for that. Here's what I'm convinced of. When we take our burden, even if we have no idea what we're doing, when you take your burden to the Lord in prayer, he does something that no amount of preparation could do anyway. But what if we start to just stop long enough to say, God, what's, what's something in this area that I just have a burden to co-own, to suffer with, to have compassion for, to not be concerned about, but to, to, to literally own. What can I do? Because this is what Jesus said. I'm going to read it one more time. Um, they said, send the crowds away so they can go and buy themselves food. And Jesus replied, they don't need to go away. Give them something to eat. Don't send the problem away. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to own this thing. I'm grateful that Jesus didn't just own some hungry people, but he owned all of humanity's issue. He had compassion for all. That he didn't just come to be a baby born of a virgin, but he came to die a son. 
who would vacuum all of humanity into himself so that he could build a bridge to the Father that was eternal in its nature, in its grip. And part of our journey as believers is just unpacking this bridge that we've already traversed. And it's because God had compassion on people. They were just human. But he loved so deeply that he would never build a barrier away from. What does it look like to really dream about Charlotte? And maybe it's not a city thing. Maybe it's your home. Maybe it's relationships. Maybe it's something really close and familiar around you that God's trying to shake the cultural response of and say, hey, just stop and consider what compassion looks like for this space. Amen? This might be audacious, but I I fully believe that we should be, I don't want to say stupid, but I didn't pay attention in class, so I don't have as many words. Some of you stupid. Um... We should be stupid and audacious enough to trust that we can own anything we see broken because of the measure he brings to the basket, not the lack we see. Amen? If your passions, there's hungry people in my community, then you should have the audacity and the faith to say, I don't even know how, I don't know where, I don't know who, I don't know what, but I'm going to start holding on to compassion instead of concern. I'm going to tilt into that realm so the kingdom can start to show up so it's no longer just me on earth on earth as it is on earth, but it's me on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. So I want to pray for us over this. and. That's your homework. Go pray about this, and the next week we're going to visibly write these down and um, pray into these as a church. So, Father, we just um, we adore you. We thank you for the life that was on Jesus, that was a bridge for all of humanity. God, where the fall and the curse had separated and made two sides in our awareness, thinking that this chasm was too great, that your presence was too far. You showed up in human form and just sat right down across the table from us. And God, what a just mysterious thing. To sit at the same table where there's a God with a pulse breaking bread. Loving people, stopping to have compassion disrupting culture not to be critical but to bring kingdom in the middle and God I I just want to pray over this church and over our hearts God give us this same word this same call that you gave the disciples to say hey stop just being concerned here's what we're going to do God highlight those areas for us God, people in this church that I I know have passion and calling for specific things that could transform culture. God, I pray that you would highlight it, breathe on it, put your presence on it this week. God, I pray that it would be a burning, like that word even means, just this yearning in the bowels of physical representation and pull to be part of a solution when we see a need. And last, Father, I pray that you help us be that missional church on every layer, God, that we're not hidden behind a shelf. We're not separated. We're not disengaged. 
but we're secure enough as your sons and daughters, anointed of the Holy Spirit, to sit at any table in any context and bring the kingdom. Yeah, Father, we just thank you for that grace, that part that's just fully you. And we trust you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church.